Welcome to the Agile Coffee Podcast. My name is Vic Bonacci, certified scrum trainer and virtual cafe barista. <laughs> I'd like to share with you some interesting conversations that I have with people that are just like you. You know, people who are also navigating the terrain of Agile and Scrum in today's rapidly changing workplaces. This episode of the Agile Coffee Podcast is brought to you by Rocket9 Solutions, training for you and your organization. Does it feel like the change that you're trying to implement is just impossible? It isn't. We can help. Rocket9Solutions.com. The Agile Coffee Podcast is part of the Agile Podcast Network. So many good podcasts. Check it out. And maybe, I don't know, maybe you, like me, have more time now to listen to podcasts. Um, it could be the opposite. Maybe you used to listen to podcasts on your commute. But guess what? For many of us, the commute is gone. Maybe temporarily or maybe not so. I do want to express my sympathies to those who have lost a job, maybe been downgraded or your hours have been reduced. I've been there. Uh, multiple times, in fact. Um, and it's easy to fall into that rut of, you know, self-doubt and um, confusion, frustration, uh, just overall overwhelm, right? Um, but there are things you can do. Reach out. Reach out to friends. One thing that I'm offering here on this podcast now is an opportunity for you, the listener, to reach out to me. Um, I'm on Twitter, at Agile Coffee, and I'd like to invite people to join me now that i'm doing my my lean coffees uh over over zoom uh it really does open up so many options so um that's one thing i'd like to try is to uh, invite you to join me if you're interested reach out to me at agile coffee on twitter and we'll uh we'll see what we can do another thing i'd like to say is if you do have the time and you are perhaps um looking to transition into a an agile role specifically a scrum role Look at learning, look at taking classes, look at improving yourself. Now's a great opportunity to do that because so many people might be um, not paying attention to that. So do you have a certification? Have you gotten your certified Scrum Master, your CSM cert, or your certified Scrum Product Owner cert? Um, have you? Would you like to advance, get the ACSM or or the CSPSM? You know, there's there's a lot out there that we can do right now to level up ourselves. Uh, so whether you're um, out of jobs, between jobs, looking for your next opportunity, or you're in a current opportunity and you just want to add these extra skills, learn from experts meet other people who are in it like you um, bring that back to your organization to get recognized for the work that you're putting in now to make yourself better um, just something to consider it's what i'm doing and you're going to hear more about that in upcoming episodes but that's it for now i'll get off my soapbox and i'm going to begin serving up these little espresso shots for you right now so back behind the bar for me i invite you at this time to sit back relax and enjoy a fresh brew of agile coffee Welcome back to the Agile Coffee Podcast. My name is Vic Bonacci. You can reach me on Twitter at Agile Coffee. This is episode 67, and here we are with Larry Lawhead. Hello, everyone. I'm glad to be here, Vic. Glad to be with this distinguished audience, whom I will not mention because they'll introduce themselves. <laughs> Larry is on Twitter at Larry Lawhead. Chris Herney. 
Hey, Vic. Hey, guys. How you doing? Uh, good to be here. First time, long time. Yeah, it is. That's right. First time on here. Chris underscore Herney on Twitter and Ben Rodlitz. Hey, everybody. Good to be back with you, Vic. That's what, your third time, I think, on here or so I, right I, now. I think so. There's a couple times where I was kind of shouting outside on ones I wasn't part of, but I, don't, <laughs> I, think, I think you edited those out. We tried to keep you out that one, but Ben <laughs> is on Twitter a lot. <laughs> at Ben Rodlitz. Um, well, let's uh, let's just check in, see how everyone's doing. It's, um, it's Monday, June 1st, and I know a few of us were talking about Adam Weisbart's Agile uh, was it Agile Virtual Summit, right? I think that's what Agile Virtual Summit. And if um, if you're out there listening and this comes at you in the next, uh, you know, we're recording this on Monday night, um, you'll still have a, a few days left uh, this week. It's running all week, uh, the Agile Virtual Summit, and it may be free. So um, you can check online at uh, agilevirtualsummit.com and find out more information. But um, any takeaways you guys want to share from that? Go ahead, Chris. Oh, I, I, hopefully I don't steal your thunder here, Ben, but I was just going to say for such a large virtual event, uh, I was really impressed with uh, how slick Adam's presentation was, how seamless uh, the different views and screens and things like that. Um, and from what I watched today, there was very very little technical difficulties. It was a very seamless presentation. And, and, and adding on to that, I was, I was uh, really jazzed by the size of the audience. Uh, I mean, this was not put together very uh, long ago. And the word got out, and I think Adam was talking about how he thought, wow, if I can get a couple hundred people, that'd be cool. And there were, what was it, 1,300 was it the last? Or was it? Yeah, yeah uh, who joined. The, they have a LinkedIn group that they invited us to join. There's over 1,300 in the LinkedIn group. I think I saw the counter in the live ch- in the live window uh, say up to like 1.8 or like 1,800 yeah. uh, at one time. Um, and it, it, it's kind of a live indicator. So you can see it you know, at 700, at 900, whatever it is, people like taking a break for lunch and coming back kind of thing. Um, today we had. Tell when I was, hopefully, you couldn't tell when I was looking at my phone and not paying attention. Yeah, I know. With thirteen hundred people, I don't think they're <laughs> checking us, right? Yeah. Um, uh, Jim Benson kicked it off today. Uh, Trisha Broderick was there. Richard Kasparowski was there today. So three speakers each day, plus Adam himself um, doing his hosting. Uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a good time, and we need good times these days. We need something fun to look at. So, uh, if you're uh, if you're interested in in checking that out, go to agilevirtualsummit.com. You can find out more. It runs this week, the first week of June in 2020. Well, um, here we are in Southern California, and, and like I said, it, it's great to have Chris on for the first time. Ben's back again. Larry, longstanding uh, podcast. Uh, guest here on, on with me here um, but we all are in the same community so this is just kind of strange being over zoom to do one of these podcast recordings is Ben um, uh, is Ben like the the um, Steve Martin of agile coffee no, podcast? That's, no that's is, Larry is he have way. a special uh, like has hosted that Saturday Night Live so many times he gets a special jacket five time <laughs> club I love that skit yeah. you get the no, jacket Larry, for the five time club Larry how many times is it for you <laughs> Oh, man, I have no idea. I, I kept track of it, and then I <laughs> but it's probably well, been a, maybe a dozen times over the years. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to date myself here, but Larry's the original guest, so he's the Buck Henry of... Uh, oh, there you go. 
He's the the most, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Um, well, and you asked, so I will tell you here, Larry. Um, oh, it doesn't tell me how many. Yeah, no, it doesn't tell me how many. There's a Python script you can write for that. Yeah, there yeah. should be. It's it's over two dozen. Yeah, Ooh, definitely. And we're in uh, episode sixty-seven now, so that's that's a that's good version. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, we've got a couple of topics here on our virtual lean coffee board. I'll give you guys a couple of minutes to uh, look them over, see if you want to add any others, and we'll go ahead and vote. Three votes apiece. Um, I know that uh, one of us came prepared to to talk about uh, uh, something specific, and that one of us is Larry, who was just uh, last week, I think it was, a little over a week ago, um, at our local Agile SoCal, the one that Paul Moore puts together. Um, speaking to a group of, gosh, I think there were close to 90 of us there that night. There were a lot, maybe not quite 90. But um, how did that feel, Larry, given your overview, your presentation? Oh, I, I really liked it. I, I, it's just a little different to talk to a group you can't see, so it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's fine. Um, I had this this thing on my mind that I wanted to, this thing on my heart I just kind of wanted to get off of, you know, get it off my mind or whatever and, and um, it was good. I, it was really a struggle for me to to say that safe is a is a valid um, framework, and I was happy to share that struggle because I have a feeling by the amount of people that showed up, it was either a struggle for them also, or they were finally happy to find somebody that got converted to or whatever. And I and as I went through the notes again before you know I published them, the day all the publish. I just went through that idea of, of fundamentalism. You know, we can't afford to be fundamentalists here when it comes to uh, our agile frameworks and the things that we like. We can't change the world of work with a closed mind. And and um, so this was a this was a personal exhortation that I had to give myself. So yeah, well, it was good. Well, well then let's um let's jump into that first topic. You have your transformation beyond the chasm. So what's what's this all about? Why don't you set oh, yeah. it, set up our audience here? They okay. have. Haven't all I, been to your talk? <laughs> sure, happy to. Unfortunately, I don't have my. I can't sh- see my notes here because on my iPad it doesn't. Oh, really we don't need notes. It's just us but guys great. talking. Here's the idea: uh, beyond uh, transformation beyond the chasm. I've done a lot of reading into this, uh, and, as uh, and the idea is that when you cross the chasm with your transformation team, that comes from um, Moore's book, Crossing the Chasm, obviously. Uh, the conversation changes. And where we've been, or as I as an agile coach, a transformation coach, have been most of the time is on the left-hand side of that chasm, meaning uh, you get an invitation by an organization to come in and help with the agile adoption. That usually comes through the uh, uh, COO, maybe at the very most, or some director of IT, and you help at the team level. And that's great. We've had some great progress right but we've always talked about hey we got to move this into the organization we got to scale the organ into the organization the thing that i really have in beginning to understand is when you cross that chasm uh you the conversation fundamentally changes you have a c ceo that wants to know what's going on you can't tell him oh we'll just figure it out you know i just recently went to the scrum at scale uh, forum that i go to quite often and there was a question on metrics, and everyone shared their ideas, and they said, well, basically, the team figures that out. Try to go to a C- CEO and tell him, well, we'll figure out what metrics are possible here. Just give us a little bit of time. You can't sell that to him. 
that's not going to be valuable to him. He's thinking, let's let's uh, let's why we penetrate the market. How do we? Yes, exactly. So I, I want to I want to interrupt you there real quick. Um, just when you're talking about crossing the chasm, for those of you who are not familiar. Uh, with the book by Jeffrey Moore, Crossing the Chasm. He has in it a, a bell curve, which kind of describes the um, the technical life cycle. Uh, I think he calls it the um, technology adoption life cycle. All the way on the, on the left-hand side, very la- uh, small number of people. You've got the innovators. The next group over is the early adopters. Then you've got this big gap, and that's the, the chasm that you're talking yeah. about there, uh, before it goes into the, the primary portion of the bell curve you've got your early majority and your late majority which is probably like 60 70 80 percent of the curve and then yeah. the laggards are on the far right sorry to interrupt go ahead there oh, no, Larry. Please. i get a little bit excited sometimes so the whole point is here the conversation changes you're not going to go to a ceo and tell him oh we got to figure this out no he wants to, he wants a uh integrated solution he can't sell to board of directors a non-integrated solution. So that's kind of where it breaks down. You can do experimentation on the left-hand side of the chasm with, with um, half-baked what solutions, I guess you call it. What, what, what is Scrum? Scrum is focuses on the team. You have to have something bigger than Scrum when you cross the chasm. Scrum at scale, I appreciate it deeply, right? But does Scrum at scale give us a roadmap that I can get to a CEO and say, this is what we'll do? Uh, or... If I'm if I'm the transformation expert that I believe I am, I should be able to design that for that group, for that organization, and then take it to the CEO. But we've had this we've had this disconnect between getting started and really bringing it into the enterprise. And so that's kind of what my thinking here is that that conversation changes. So the questions I have are: How have you seen that conversation change, and how have you how have you led a different type of conversation with? with people that want an integrated solution that are more conservative and aren't going to just take it because, wow, it's a great idea. Larry, I, I like I like when you talked about Scrum being at the team level and then at some point we have to propagate these good ideas, these values and principles across the organization. So th- here's a statement that I've been guilty of saying several times to different clients. Tell me what you think of this. Um, if all we're ever able to do is say, for example, wrap a good sound scrum process around engineering, and that's that's as far as we can ever move the needle, the overall gains for the organization might even be negligible. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's what bothers me. I, I there's another statistic that I had on my notes that I can't share, uh, but. Uh, in 2017, so a little while ago, uh, Hewitt Packard did a survey of 601 of their clients. Yeah. And um, really, if you look at that, you go, man, have we even moved the needle? I realize that the the um, uh, Verizon One you know, does the yearly state of agile. We're, we're way off into the 98 percentile. Uh, and Hewitt Packard put us at about 68 percent. It doesn't really matter. The whole point is, which beyond the chasm? That's a, they, they wrote a book about that Hewlett Packard case study. Um, it's a good book, uh, and 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 really, if I'm being honest, that's where I got that message from. Hewlett Pack the book about Hewlett Packard is basically a way of them saying, "Here's what we did, and it was a mistake, and it didn't really gain us a lot." Right? We wrapped we wrapped the ad, we wrapped our engineering teams around some agile framework, and we noticed that we didn't really improve 
yeah. the the outcomes of our organization that much. Yeah, we have to be able to show that we we we're bringing value. As excited as I get, and I know I'm convinced this is the greatest thing, man. We can really, uh, we can really have an impact on an organization. But when I see the statistics and I look at my own history as a coach, I go, "Gee, am I moving the needle?" Then I I need to rethink how I cross that chasm and who I talk with and what answers I give. So, do you want my answer from four months ago, or do you want my answer today after a four month experience at Chevron? Because <laughs> four well, months ago. Four months ago, I would have agreed with you implicitly, and now I am almost maybe not 180, but 130 degrees uh, off of that. And I never would have believed that. Um, I, you know, we've heard you can't scale crappy agile, right? We've all heard that before. And I've mostly been of the, of the attitude of, if we can get the leadership on board, that's where we—that's what we need to do. That'll make the biggest difference. Yes. And I'm fine. And and this is kind of going over into the other two topics that I was interested in talking about. I'm I'm finding that experiential or empirical agile training, agile coaching, to me is is way more valuable, and it gets around that idea of of you can't scale crappy agile. And it's not scaling by saying you need to do Scrum because that will make you do better. It's by having them try to do Scrum, finding the elements of their delivery that is found wanting and pointing out the elements of an agile implementation, Scrum, Kanban, whatever you're using, that will help them solve that. And, And then when I talk to the next level at the product level, the business level, and say, how would you like to get your highest value stuff quicker? I don't say by doing scrum. I don't say by doing safe. I don't say by doing less, just how would you like to get things? Well, that would be cool. Mm -hmm. Well, you know what? I'm going to work with your teams to have them do that and have that groundswell percolate up. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that's what I found from this. There's a, another whole topic because Everything we talked about is a transformation, and it's not a transformation. That was the other aha moment. And they're, 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 they're intrinsically linked. So there, I'm going to stop now. But, but well, it's, it's not a transformation. What is it then? Well, I'm looking for a partner to come up with the term. Okay, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump into my next topic, but I'll only spend yeah. a minute on this. No, that's a good segue. We yeah. we may come back, Larry, to yours. So we're blending two topics here. Yeah. yeah. So when I was, uh, you know, I sometimes introduced myself like at an AA meeting. Hi, I'm Ben. I, I'm a Ganthead. Hi, Ben. Uh, so, you know, I was doing traditional product management. I was really interested in some of the methodology in, you know, year 2000 projects about the, the, the frameworks they were setting up for that. And I read a really good review of them, and it pointed out that most of them depend on starting a project using this and that at any company, 80%, at least 80% of all projects that are going on have been going on long enough to not consider them in that nascent stage. So that any of these methodologies that depend on you being there at the beginning, right, are going to be struggling because they're not struggling. And, and, 
that was the light bulb that came on here because I came in into, oh, we tried Agile, it didn't work. Oh, some of our teams are doing Scrum. We're kind of using, they were using ADO, you know, we're kind of using Jira, but they've all been doing it, right? They've all been doing it. And it's that Kanban idea of let's meet them where they are, right? Yeah. Um, I, uh, I I pulled up a presentation I did because I had to report to C Prime about these you know epiphanies that I had, and the asks that I got who were these these people were so tired of constantly retransforming. The very first thing they said was, "Sorry, Larry, no safe," right? And 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 it was because they weren't ready for it. And all the stories they'd heard were horror stories, and they were horror stories not because safe is bad, but because the way they did it. Or more importantly, the context in which they did it was not the right time. Yeah, yeah. Right? You've heard me say before. Hey, I, I'm going to do. I did it. We did an open space thing once that was blank is not the problem, and and we just listed all the things. Jira is not the problem. Safe is not the problem. Yeah. yeah. Scrum is not the problem. But safe and things like that aren't bad, but they make it easy to do bad things. Yeah. Right. So we need to. We need to. And Jira is even a bigger example that we need to separate those things. So they said no safe. Uh, and they wanted no academics, no theory. We want actionable stuff, right? You know, I mean, they were interested in best practices, and we talked about why that's not necessarily the right way. But one one of the supervisors actually used the term coachy coach speech speak. I don't want coachy coach speak, and I don't want the Wild West. I don't want everybody, you know, I don't want the, oh, self-organizing, do what you want, go off on your own rails, and then we find out nobody's doing anything right, Okay. So we had to hit a balance on that, but it was transformation fatigue and they weren't transforming anymore. Yeah. So, so is it an agile re- rejuvenation an agile res- res- resurrection, agile resuscitation? It's mm-hmm. not a transformation. And if we start every time doing a control alt delete, sorry, sorry, Mac people. If we, <laughs> if we constantly think like we need to do a control alt delete and start over every time mm-hmm. we're going to get change fatigue and, and it's and it's not going to happen. And if we can do, if we can do, create culture bubbles from the bottom up, and prove to the people above them that they're getting benefit out of doing this. Let me give you a, a perfect example of something that I completely changed on. I had uh, uh, nine scrum teams and four Kanban teams. The nine scrum teams, not one of them has a definition of ready or definition of done. Not one of them. Not one of them. And and I left right when we were going to do it because because now I could say, huh. Let's look at your last two sprints. One of the root causes of why the sprints weren't going well was because da-da-da-da-da-da, work backwards, work backwards, work backwards, your stories weren't ready. Yeah. Right? Now, if I'd gone four weeks, four months earlier and said, create your definition of ready, they'd have done what I'd have done. They'd have gone, Google, definition of ready. (laughs) And they would have found three of them, and they would have put all these words together, wouldn't have meant a thing to them. They would have had this great kumbaya discussion, create it, put it on their wiki page, never look at it again, right? And now, four months later, they see what things are, they're struggling with, what things don't. And that's why I think it's, I'm thinking of it as imperial or experiential coaching, is I'm going to give you enough framework to get to where you can start experimenting and find what works and didn't work. I did one, one and a half hour class, and the rest were all under an hour, and almost all of them were written contextually for the teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I I agree with that, uh, Ben. That's that's kind of been my approach with different clients. Is and and it's interesting because when you start off with different clients, a lot of them do want your 
you to unfurl your cookie cutter approach, right? Um, mm-hmm. And and to, to your point, Ben, right? Uh, I don't, I don't really, and this, and this kind of talks to Larry's point too. Is I don't really know exactly what I'm going to do <laughs> until I get in the room with your teams and see what they're struggling with, uh, see what their reality looks like. Um, you know, Ben, going back to your comment about not scaling crappy agile, that's really interesting to me. And, and this is one of those situations where I'm, um, I'm kind of uh, enthusiastic about maybe having my mind changed. Uh, one thing that I've often said, because I've had several clients who on day one want to talk about scaling. And I've always tried to pull, pull back the reins a little bit and say, look, you can't scale what you haven't got. Um, and, and at the team level, you don't have any semblance of good agile practices and, you know, embracing the values and principles and things. But correct me if I'm wrong, but what I'm hearing from you is let them try to scale crappy agile so they can see where, the, where they're struggling um, and, and empirically, you know, adapt to that. Is that, is that kind of where you're going with that? Yeah. Not exactly. I mean, I, I'm of the Craig Larman. If you're thinking about scaling, don't. Um, <laughs> yeah. And yeah. and what we did was, and 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 what was even better was that they kind of saw the need to do this. Was a few teams there, there was the teams aren't set up quite right. Mm-hmm. So there was a couple of initiatives where two teams needed to work together, and they had the you know they had the typical nuts and bolts questions. You know, do we put them all on the same? ADO board, the same JIRA board, or do we keep them separate? Do we mix our stand-ups mm-hmm. and all that? And I said, those are great questions, but let's get the bigger picture first. And and the scaling came about out again out of context. Okay, now you need now you need to have the two teams work together. What would be a good framework to put around that? Mm-hmm. Right? Right? Well, they did. The last thing they did when I was there was a one-day they were calling it PI planning. They were calling it, you know, modified PI planning. I asked them to change it to quarterly planning just so that we didn't get it confused with safe. But um, I didn't think they were doing nearly enough preparation and stuff. And their attitude, they were telling me, the coach, you know, we just want to try this and see how it works. I thought, cool. And damned if they didn't uh, step up the, to, to, to do that. And, and exactly what my sponsor wanted happened. We had a great retro uh, about what to do better next, which never would have worked if we had done two days of safe for teams and two days of leading safe, you know, and got the scrum masters doing, you know, safe for scrum master stuff where we spend one day teaching you safe and one day teaching you bad scrum. <laughs> so, so again, and, and I, I am totally upfront that this was not what I went in intending to do, mm-hmm. you know, but, it was a lot of work. I mean, I literally, I checked, I wrote about 15 new one hour, half hour, one hour little trainings. Wow. Um, but they were very contextual. One of the benefits of dispersing the teams was uh, I did, I was doing relentless observations, relentless. I was in it at like three meetings at the same time, because now instead of folding up my computer and trying to find the other meeting, you know, I left meeting and joined meeting. Mm. Um, and, and, the, and the other thing it helped me with in meetings, I hated typing in, in while, it, you know, somebody would say something, I'd be typing, I'd immediately type something and it'd be like, oh God, what did I say? What's Ben going to talk to me about? You know, so I would just write notes and I just cleaned up my, my uh, backpack 
since this thing ended. And I haven't, I haven't looked at my backpack in two months because I haven't been moving anything. And there were notes from meetings from two months ago. But once we started this, I was taking notes during the meetings and immediately sending them the notes right afterwards. Yeah. And that set up the context and that set up the, oh, I see what you're saying. Could we talk more about whatever you asked us about? It was so, I mean, we, we talk about what we do being empirical, you know, with, with transparency and inspection and adaption, adaptation. There you go. And that's really what we did. For, I mean, who'd have thought that that would work as a coach? <laughs> <laughs> is, is, isn't it ironic that um, the, the goal, uh, the outcome that we're trying to coach teams to, to, to derive is empirical process control in terms of product development yet as coaches we are often not willing to employ empirical process control yeah. on our coaching <laughs> i always thought that was that was pretty ironic that is that yeah. really yeah. right you can like, always you can always tell the coach by the flat forehead from going why didn't i do that before <laughs> <laughs> my forehead is flat because i'm like why why are my neighbors now cutting their lawn it's like 4 30 4 45 on a monday See, I, I can't hear it Vic. so uh, yeah. well that's good i, I keep muting it because it sounds like he's in my front yard uh, but well, anyway uh, uh, um hey i wanted to uh maybe pitch a couple of other alternative uh nouns i guess if it's not a transformation what could it be is it is it like a recalibration something along those lines is it a you said resuscitation i kind of like that um but it's something to think about too because where i'm at the client that i'm with they've been using agile for years now uh they've got scrum teams they've got kanban teams but what they don't have are product owners or someone to own that product backlog so yeah. you know senior leadership is uh you know talking to my sponsor who reports up and 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 they're saying well is this agile thing working for us and how can we measure it and it's like well you can't measure it it's not working because you're missing a wheel on it you're missing a couple of wheels right now um and so i think that if i was to go out there and i have started talking to teams but if i were to talk to all the teams and do a survey and do any kind of training, it would feel to them like, oh, here we go again. We're starting this whole Agile thing from scratch where it's, we're not. <laughs> we're not starting. You guys have made great progress before I even came on board, you know. Um, great progress. So it's not like we're transforming all over again. We're not hitting yeah. the Control-Alt-Delete again. I'm a PC user. I'll I, I don't think I've ever joined a client that hasn't already had something in place to build on. Interesting. You know what I mean? I don't think I've ever gone into a client where no one had any clue about any of this and they were completely dysfunctional and not getting some product or some value out the door to the customer. I mean, some are more dysfunctional than others, but there's yeah. always been something to build on. Even even if that thing that, that you find to build on is nothing other than a willingness, right? Or some enthusiasm, right? Maybe they're policies and procedures are completely bureaucratic and full of friction but there's there's always th this is uh this this will tie into colleen's whole thing right um uh what what is her saying uh, coalition of the willing right? yes. yeah there's always going to be something that you can yeah. help there is there is a little bit like when you're working on your kitchen first you have to do a little bit of demo yeah. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. I, I up in the, on this posting, I had resetting one, a bone that's broken. You got to exactly, re-break it, right? That's funny. <laughs> that's exactly that's exactly the analogy I was just about to use because uh, 
I had one group that had two teams very closely aligned, and one scrum master was brand new, and the other had been doing it for a year and a half. And the one who was brand new, you know, I said, hey, you know, if you have any questions, just come. And before I finished the sentence, she was at my desk, you know, asking questions. That was her attitude. And she was just really nervous. And she said, you know, Jamarcus has been doing this for so long. And I said, don't worry, he'll catch up to you in no time. Right. The beginner's mind, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. He, he must. Unlearn. Well, he was being—he was very being very efficient because he had his sprint review and sprint planning meetings together, <laughs> and in under an hour. I said, I said, okay. One definition of efficiency: he's being very efficient. But again, yeah. with him, because he was great, he always asked hard questions, and he was of the mindset. This seems to be working for us. So first we talked about, is it really working or not? But then again, when things would come up, it was it was very impactful to say, hey, here's what I heard during that combined meeting. And this came up in the review, and the story needed to be split, and another thing needed more information, and you went right into planning, right? And And you didn't have that time to do the stuff you needed to do. And by the way, your planning may be impacted. Your retro may find things that came out of the review, and your planning may be impacted by your retro. And if there's a reason for that flow, but let's talk about what you saw, and that's where the, the empiricism, the, the experiential element of it, worked way better than a two-day, you know, Scrum Master class or Safe for Teams, uh, you know, Agile for Teams or anything like that. Well, Ben, I, I I'd like to. I like to rattle the cage a bit. Here I am. I'm the CEO. I'm paying for this thing ultimately. I'm responsible for it in front of the, the board of directors. There's and, and agile coaches are not inexpensive, right? We get we get paid pretty good, and and it's it's quite a bit of money for some organizations. And so you tell me now that it, this all this money's worth it, and all you're doing is just piecemeal. I said again, are we moving? Are we moving the needle? So do you get do you get a feeling? That you could go to a CEO and say, "Yes, I am moving the needle. Your investment is worth it." Yeah. Uh, so, so what I did with my I did this with my sponsor, who was way away, far away from the CEO, but that same level of question. And and I gave her homework, and then I gave. She had supervisors for the way the structure was. There were three or four teams and three or four pillars, and each of them had a supervisor. So, uh, this was a new topology for me. So I gave them homework. I said, uh, I'm going to be here for three or four months. And at the end, someone's going to come to you and say, did Ben do a good job? And I want you to write, Ben did a good job because, and I want you to give me three, one to three bullet points of how you would like to be able to answer that. And that was way, it was the same thing as the hundred different ways we asked the same question. What does success look like? What's the outcome you're looking for? You know, those, what's the goal state? But that seemed to be actionable. That really gave them, you know, this is sort of like a pre-mortem, but a positive pre-mortem. And and I, you know, I'm not really good at talking at the leadership at the enterprise level, but I would be interested in people who have what they're, you can, you you guys have done it. What would your experience be to turn that question around to ask that of the CEO? What are you looking for? What is, what is, you know, what does success look like to you? Because I guarantee you, I can make velocity go up. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it's self, it's self, it's self-referential. If I tell you what I think 
coaching success looks like. That's what I'm coaching to. I have, by the way, Larry, I have talked about the four quadrants of predictability and uh, uh, productivity and quality and, and engagement or morale. So that's usually the, the kind of metrics that I'll talk to leadership about and, and, and not tell them that productivity has nothing to do with velocity. Sure. <laughs> the, the real one of the real benefits of this engagement was we called it the B word balance. Uh, they had a lot of patience and it's it's local optimization over global optimization. Wow. You know, if you want if you want to see improvement in three months, I will show you in three in, improvement in three months, but it won't be the improvement you need for the long term. And, and Vic, the last time we had a, 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 a lead coffee, mm-hmm. we talked about how do you balance giving the client what he wants versus he or she what they want versus what they need. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and Larry, that I think is the crux of the problem of the, that, that you're bringing up. Yeah, it's it's interesting question, Larry, because I, I I really appreciate the way you put yourself in the in the C suites mindset, right? These are people who are they are just on all the time and they want they want very tangible black and white decisions on the spot. And if we're being honest with ourselves as an agile coach coming in as a consultant or even as a full time employee to a new organization we don't yet know what they need, right? And and it it would be probably disingenuous of us to sit in an interview with a C with a C suite guy yeah. or, or girl and say, "Hey, this is what you need. You need more story points per sprint. You need uh, this, that, and the other thing." Um, here's here's something that I learned that's that's really helped me in this area, and this is anecdotal. This is just me. But um, some of you will recall from Rocket Nine's uh, Agile Coaching Cohort. It was it was it was basically a book club. Uh, we read three books and we did pseudo book reports on them. Right? We talked about them. The one book was a, a Lencioni book, Getting Naked. It was a fictitious book, um, but it was designed to you know give consulting advice. And uh, one of the pieces of advice was give the business away for free. And the way they describe it is a consultant goes into a new client. They have some discussion. The client says, well, what are you going to do for us? And the consultant says, why don't I spend a day with you? I won't bill any hours. I'll spend a day with you. I'll spend a day with your teams and, and we'll, we'll make observations. We'll have conversations and we'll see if we can derive a shared understanding on what a, at least a high-level roadmap is. I've done that. Ever since I read that book, I've done that in every single interview I've had, and only a few people have ever, ever actually taken me up on it. Wow! But 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 to but to to across everyone, they all seemed impressed with that offer. Um, and the ones who actually did take me up on it, I didn't end up spending a whole day with them. I ended up spending spending a few hours with them, and we had a, a, a pretty good conversation. I made some high level observations, and I thought, you know, here are some here are some starting points. Here are th- some things we can focus on. Here are some uh, a little bit more granular topics that perhaps we can um, you know un- unpack and, and dig into and and see if we can make some improvement in a short amount of time. I think coming into an engagement without having observed the teams and observed the organization, it's, it's just, it's too ambiguous at that point to make any sort of promises about, you know, what deliverables, um, you know, we can have in, in like a 30, 60, 90 plan or something yeah. like that. You know, I hadn't thought, Larry, you've given me some more things to think about this last engagement because 
I, I, I know it was a really good four months and I got glowing notes from my sponsor to my C prime bosses and her to her bosses. Um, and then in meetings where we moved up to the product level um, and the product owners were not embedded product owners. They were like more like product managers with a lot more responsibility, but a lot more interaction with the client. So they were really hard to engage, but were really good when they got on our side. So let me ask you, Larry, how would you present this? Because at the end you made me think, how do I know it went well other than, you know, delusionally, like I normally am. And, uh, um, I had in my, in my sponsor's note to her boss talked about it wasn't cookie cutter. The teams really got what they needed. You know, there wasn't any big academic stuff, but it was tangible, actionable stuff. That was one thing. The product owners completely, I, I mean, they, they had a, um, a, a whole business segment, vertical, uh, one of the four verticals, had a meeting just telling the rest of the people what they do. And one of them said, I got to tell you, the teams are working agilely and I am feeling like I'm being listened to as to what I want because they were the customers. This was the IT group for that. I feel like I'm getting listened to and I'm seeing things way quicker and it's closer to what I want. Mm. Right. So we know hearing that that's gold that, you know, that's, you know, the siren playing music for us. But how do you go in there to your question? How do you go in saying, Wow, my last engagement, this happened. Is that good enough for you? And how do you want me to measure that? I, I, I don't know. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, you know, I think going back to Chris's argument, and I, I will answer the question as best I can from my point of view, is you have to understand the business that you're, um, you're dealing with. Uh, back in my, um, in my um, nonprofit days, when I went into a city to, to find out what the, not, you know, the subcultural groups were, I spent a lot of time with those groups just listening, what are your problems? Uh, and I sometimes didn't even have to ask the question, it was quite obvious, but just let them talk. So that gave me enough to go back and to make a proposal to say, this is what uh, this is what we need to do in this city amongst these three groups of people for these reasons. And then I, the conversation gave me um, a wealth of information to, to talk to people about. And, you know, got funding and everything based on that a lot of times just the conversation and the results of that. Uh, I think what you've just mentioned, uh, Ben, is is perfect. In my, I would go to a CEO because what is his problem? His or her issue is this is really interesting. And I'm not going to get off on that now, but I did put it in my notes that I sent uh, based on you know the conversation I had uh, during the uh, the meetup. You know, I I put in a bunch of information about what pressures companies are under today. It, <coughs> And companies today need to innovate or they're not going to survive. So a CEO understands and needs to innovate. So begin there and work your way backwards. So based on your example, you need to innovate. And guess what? Your product owners or your product managers are now listening to the team and the team is listening to them at a higher level than ever before. And your product managers, they're listening to the customer. So now when the customer says he needs something, it goes to the product manager and then it gets to the team and it gets there flawlessly. Here's an example of how that works. Or here's an example of how that worked in the last company I worked with. We need to so- we need to shorten the feedback loops between uh, the customer and the team. And we do that through a product manager who is plugged into both. They really understand that because they know they, they and I had this conversation with a number of, of uh, higher level 
uh, people in a com in, com in various companies, and they, all, without exception, maybe that's why I was there, but without exception, they were concerned about the future of their company because we can't stay competitive unless we innovate, and we can't innovate unless we become agile. And so, help us become agile quick. What does that mean? So, there's tremendous pressure on companies today to innovate. It's it's a very interesting reason why there's. I mentioned three books and my little slide presentation that passed along why I believe this is the pressure's on and you're going to this conversation is going to come up more time and time again and CEOs are plugged into that problem domain and they do are asking for help and they're not they're not going to get it by I don't know I, I, well they might I don't know they might get it by hiring some expensive um, uh, a consulting company, but they better be a company that's plugged into shortening that feedback loop between customer and uh, and product team, uh, because that's what you need in order to survive today. I want to. Uh, oh, go on, Chris. I, I was just going to say I, I was really glad that you brought up feedback several times, Larry, and 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 Ben, when you said that the product owner slash manager felt as though they were becoming aware more quickly of changes feedback and so forth that that was gold i, I like the way you put that because i you know i mm -hmm. i've been thinking a lot about this lately um all this stuff that we do right whether it's scrum and ceremonies and to estimate or not to estimate and story points and, and all these things we do ultimately they all point to the same goal to get to feedback quicker yes mm -hmm. to get to feedback from the people who will pay us for the value that we're putting in, in their hands, right? The customers. Um, and I, and sometimes I just wonder if, if, if organizations as a whole understand that we're trying to get to quicker feedback. We're trying to put things in the customer's hands more quickly and get feedback on that so that we're, you know, minimizing waste and all these things by going down the right direction. Yeah. Um, and are, are you going to have, the, are you going to have the patience to have us actually slow down at the beginning and maybe do less work? as we gain our footing so that a year from now we're unstoppable. What is, Absolutely. Your, what is your tolerance for that timing? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And you know, I'll be honest, I, I, I've been with, I, I, I've been with certain, I mean, they haven't come right out and said it explicitly, but I've been with certain clients who kind of didn't want feedback. They were afraid of that feedback. It was, it was like a no news is good news kind of thing, but we don't want to put value in the hands of the customer or potential value in the hands of the customers. What if they say they don't like it? <laughs> and, and my response to that is, "Great, perfect. Let's do that all the time." And I, you yeah, know, more so. often. Yeah. Something you said there, Chris, about um, you know leadership understanding that we're trying to get feedback, but do they also know what the feedback is for? Do they understand like what the benefit is of getting feedback, or or do they have this fallacy in mind that we've planned it out? We know what we want. We don't need feedback. What's, that's a, what's the benefit? That's a great, of yeah, that's a great question, Vic. Because um, uh, there, 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 more more likely than not, are several people in leadership positions across you know software development industry who think that feedback is you know nothing but a, a, a rubber stamp on the work we've done. Yeah, and, and don't if you don't count at, the bugs, maybe the bugs don't exist. <laughs> right? There's a there's that great uh, Sam Walton quote. Right? We all only have one boss. It's the customer, and he can fire us anytime. Yeah, exactly. Not getting yeah. feedback. If you're not getting feedback until it gets to them, 
Yeah. yeah. Cross your fingers. I, 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 I love to see if I can do what I can here to anonymize this. Um, somebody in an executive position with a previous client of mine um, on his Twitter account made the statement, um, I know what technology you'll be using five years from now. And I thought, well, you're almost, (laughs) that is almost explicitly saying, I'm going to shut off the valve to customer feedback because I don't need it. I I already know. (laughs) Was this this post before like March of this year? (laughs) No, no, no. This was his, uh, you know how on Twitter you have a little headline under your profile. This was his headline. Oh, I see. So I mean, anytime we talk about people predicting the future and they're, yeah. You know, who well, could have well, predicted not, the last three months, you know, not, not only predicting the future, but five years into the future. Yeah. And it's like, if you know what technology is going to be valuable for people five years from now, build it now because you're going to be, you know, you're going to be the next Jeff Bezos or something. You're going to be rolling in the dough. Yeah. It's uh, like the, it's like the guys who sell, who sell stock tips, right? If you really knew, you wouldn't tell anybody. So, so, so Ben, my dad used to make this joke. My dad used to say, you know, we'd see billboards saying, you know, uh, this stock guy or this fund manager or whatever. And it's like, if your stock guy, if you're, if you're, uh, if your financial advisor is so good, why is he still working? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I just saw, I just, I saw like eight different places. They were quoting Warren Buffett saying, you only need to diversify if you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> it's like if I go see my uh, um, psychic and she's like, oh, you're back. It's like I walk right back out. You know, you should have known I was coming back. You know, the best in, in, Redondo, in, in Redondo Beach, they actually walked in on a psychic and arrested her for some sort of fraud and stuff. And it was like, didn't see that coming, did you? <laughs> It's just going back to your point, Vic. It's just interesting to me that a lot of people in these kind of product visionary roles have just a tremendous amount of hubris that they know more than the customer knows, and they don't really value feedback. And, you know, uh, look, if if as an organization your philosophy is you don't really value customer feedback, maybe this whole Agile thing isn't for you. (laughs) I think you could almost say tell your company goodbye. I just can't imagine them to be – Again, I'm influenced by what I read, right? But I can't see how you're going to make it if you don't listen. Listen carefully. Larry, I I, want to go back, and I know this is changing gears a bit, going back to the beginning of our conversation here when you're talking about your your presentation that you gave to us. I've got the slides up, and uh, you gave me permission to share the slides here, so I'll put them on the website agilecoffee.com slash episode 67. People could see the other resources that we're naming, any books and and so on, but also have a copy of Larry's uh, slide deck there. In your presentation and in your slide deck, you talked about music. You talked about the transition going from uh, growing up with classical music. You talk about the storytelling of the romantic period, the structure of Baroque, et cetera, and then going from there to appreciating jazz. And and if you could just share that in a nutshell. yeah. with the rest of us here yeah w- without without my mu- musical support right I, yeah you know the, my best yeah. right yeah the whole point is uh, uh classically music spoke to me i i can't say why uh when i was a young teenager it just started to make sense to me uh and it did you listen to these things and you see all these pictures in your mind and everything and then when i got the jazz even even as a teenager uh, listening to jazz whenever it came up uh, it didn't make any sense to me. Where are we going with this thing? Like, uh, Fug in uh, 
D, sorry, fugue and D minor, uh, that you can feel it coming. You know where he's headed. You know why he's been there. You know what's coming next, you know, and you feel the music with you. Um, uh, Tchaikovsky's 1864 Overture, you know, because you can hear those bills and you know, at the, uh, you know, from a Russian Orthodox point of view, what that means. And then you hear the conflict and then you see the celebrate, hear the celebration at the end. That all makes sense. But you get into jazz and it's like, what are these guys doing? It's like, wow, okay. I really like the fact he's playing the saxophone, but what does that have to do with the, the drums? Okay. Yeah, what's the narrative? There's no story being told here. Yeah, there's or at no least story it's hard to tell what it is, yeah, right? I'm to piece this together and it doesn't make any sense. But when I saw the foot, when I saw the, the masters, I guess the, these guys were passionate about it. They were uh, musicians from, um, Aust uh, from Austria, Slovenia, and Croatia. And these guys were passionate about their jazz, and it was amazing. And they sat down and they worked it out. And it wasn't just, oh, oh, yeah. First concept that went out the window is just haphazard. Do whatever you want. No, man, oh, man. These guys were, they were intense. Uh, they go, well, play, play an intro. See what yeah, I like that intro. Change that. They wrote it all down. It was in, in their, you know, wrote all down the, the notes. And then they would run it up again. They would play the whole thing. And then they would change their notes again. And they would practice, practice, practice. And so what looked like spontaneous stuff on the, on the, on the stage it was spontaneous, but everybody had a common understanding of where we're headed with this. And then I got to know it. When, when the saxophone kind of hands it off to the, the guitarist, the guitarist picks it up and he, he does his, his thing and then he hands it back to the drummer who does an amazing um, uh, solo. And so you see him passing the ball around and that, that tells me that was the narrative that was missing for me and Jess. If there is this, this constant change where baroque is like okay you know where he's headed because he's been there before and it, it all follows the same pattern right uh but the jazz the feedback loops are much shorter and they're more I, they can be more creative and they are extremely expressive and people play off the audience i don't think Bach when he put together his I, he was thinking about the audience sure but he was focused on the music and uh jazz brings in this uh Thing about where you play off the energy of the crowd and you play off the energy of your musicians and so I missed that whole thing until I got to know how they put together their music and the kind of teamwork and the feedback loops that they, they rely on and that really got me interested in jazz and I can say today boy I really appreciate jazz and yeah. the, mm -hmm. for me the, the lesson was if I would have taken the time to get to know jazz and, and the brilliance behind jazz uh, that would have been missing from my life, and my life would not be as full today as it is now if I would have not taken that step. And, and then you extrapolated that out to the, the teams, the organizations that you're working with, and, and you brought that into the whole conversation about uh, safe and getting beyond the uh, the fixed mindset. Uh, I thought it was really well done. You did a, a yeah. nice job there. Um, you said, if you don't, I'm sorry, if you believe you've arrived, you've accomplished nothing. And man, ain't oh, that yeah. the truth? That's great. Yes, it, it, yeah. Yeah. You guys know there's a, a Vic, you may know uh, Tom Cagley. He has a podcast called the Software Process and Measurement Podcast. Oh, Oops. yeah, yeah, yeah. D didn't mean to plug another podcast. No, me. no, by all means. <laughs> as Tom. well, we should, as part of the Agile Podcast Network. You can ah, find okay. all the best Agile podcasts as part of the Agile Podcast Network. Thank you for that. 
So, so Tom Cagley's great guy. Uh, I've come to know him pretty well over the years and does a really great podcast, a weekly podcast. He always signs, it reminds me of what you just said. Um, he always signs off his show by saying, if, if process improvement is a never ending journey, then why does everyone ask when will we arrive? <laughs> I love that. And, and it's, it's, it's good because, um, you know, I guess it kind of goes back to Ben's idea about this transformation is like, is, it, is there a finish line? Will we ever get there? Yeah, or is it just, is it just a consistent series of small improvements that ultimately culminate in, in maybe a new look for an organization? Man, you you just you just rocked a decades old memory that one of the first first of what I'm sure were way 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 too many snotty snotty memory memos I wrote um, uh, was subtitled "How do we know when we get there if we don't know where we're going?" Mm, nice. So that's kind of the corollary to what you just said. I like yeah. That. Yeah. <laughs> Well, guys, before we wrap up, uh, I just wanted to do a real quick check-in on what you're up to these days. We talked about some uh, some learning. Uh, what are you doing just to, like, keep your mind from turning into mush, a, a Zoom, into the swamp of Zoom these days? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I just finished a four-month a four uh, uh, initiative, so I'm getting tons more fodder for my uh, little entries of my favorite job uh, job requirements because I've been looking at a lot more of them lately. So uh, that's been spending spending some time. But yeah, I'm gonna my my background for a long time was as a developer. So I'm gonna go probably go to Udemy and uh, I've done some Python programming. I want to do some some Python again and it helps me get better empathy with the people that I'm I'm working with and understand mm. that developer's point of mind. Ben, I don't know uh, how active you are on Twitter. Maybe not very, because I, I called you out on Twitter maybe a few weeks ago. Uh-oh. When I was a kid, uh, <laughs> not called out in a bad way. When yeah. I was a kid, I used to read Mad Magazine all the time. And maybe you guys did too, <laughs> oh. I don't know. But if, maybe you guys will remember one of the contributors to Mad Magazine was this guy, Al Jaffe. Yeah, and, yeah. and one of his one of his things was snappy answers to stupid, stupid questions, questions. <laughs> and and i recently maybe in a few months back found old like used copies because he he they out of the magazine he spun off books that he actually compiled all his snappy answers to stupid questions uh and uh so i bought a bunch of those books and i, I called ben out on twitter as being the al jaffe of the agile world <laughs> and i was <laughs> and i was specifically thinking about your um your job your favorite job postings uh and i like the one you said the other day full of cliches we need someone who's going to keep keep uh keep our transformation on their radar and not drop yeah, the ball. keep your eye keep your eye on the ball but don't, and, and, and don't let things drop off the radar <laughs> <laughs> which yeah, should i look was... at the radar or the ball yeah, exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> Yeah, I actually, uh, you know, I, I didn't respond because I didn't know how many people knew anything about Mad Magazine. But but I did. I did uh, uh, in two two jobs ago, wrote about something belonging in the department redundancy department, <laughs> which was an old, old Mad Magazine thing. Uh, oh, man. Well, gentlemen, I will uh, let you guys get back to your lives today. I want to thank you for joining me. This was a lot of fun. It's nice to... Yes. Uh, to have this and i know for a while we were doing these lean coffees virtually like every day a couple times a day i think for a while um i've been taking a break from that as you know i had a test i had to study for 
Maybe you don't. Yay, yeah, that's right. Well, yeah. Way to go. Did you got to ring the bell for that, did we? I ring the bell. <laughs> I just, here it is. I'm going to ring the bell. Thank you, Larry. I miss the bell. I love hearing the bell. Vic, out of curiosity, when you become a certified scrum trainer, yes. are, is it? do you hold the right to do uh, scrum master and product owner, or are they separate distinctions? What, how does that work? I haven't heard anyone who went through with anything other than CSM for the scrum master. Okay. But then once you um, go in front of the TAC and you pass, then you're now able to submit documents, materials for other classes. So oh, uh, you can go ahead and submit your materials for your certified scrum product owner. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually going to take the the path of just diving deep into scrum master. So I'm submitting materials for the advanced oh, okay. uh, CSM and even the uh, CSPSM here. So that's my my June is getting nice. to know the uh, learning objectives for um, for these classes and then co-training with others. Um, but I don't have to go in front of uh, another committee again. Just get my materials approved and a few other questions that they asked. You know, we used to we used to cycle a lot. We got to Torrey Pines. We drove mm-hmm. uh, we biked down to San Diego from Irvine, and we went all the way up the hill and we called it an oh shoot hill. Because every time you got around a corner and you thought you were at the top, you looked and it kept going up. It's like, oh, shoot, shoot. <laughs> I was like, kind of what you're doing. You finished your CST and now you're getting ready to do more, more stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the difficult part is certainly over. Now it's yeah. uh, the other difficult part. Got to be a great feeling lifelong of learning. Yeah. yeah well, Got to be a great, great feeling of accomplishment, huh? Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Congratulations. All yeah, right. So, um, Chris Herney can be found on Twitter at Chris underscore Herney, Ben Rodelitz at Ben Rodelitz, and Larry Lawhead at Larry Lawhead. Gentlemen, thank you again for joining me. And everybody else listening, thank you for your attention. Uh, stay sane in these chaotic times. And remember to enjoy your coffee with friends. And your coffee.